Uh, go with me to Romans 15. We're going we're gonna to start a Christmas message in Romans 15. We're gonna, we'll, we'll spend some other times in other sections of Scripture, but this is where we're going to start. Romans 15, 13. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, hope has come. Hope has come. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you stand real quick as we pray is, is the tradition of this house and then we're gonna talk about hope today. God, we thank you that you are the source of our hope. That our hope is not in culture, it's not in a political system, not in an economic system. It is in a person who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, who is unchanging, whom we can deeply rely on, who gets us, that came and lived life as a human, experienced a broad range of emotions, that is capable of empathy, that can sit with us in our deepest and darkest moments and remind us that regardless of what we see, we still have hope. We thank you that this season is a reminder that you are not some far off God demanding behavior modification and sacrifice to appease you, but you deemed relationship with us worthy enough to send your son to live a blameless life and to be the price, the ransom for our sin, that we can have right relationship with you because of what started in this Christmas season. We thank you for that in your name. Amen. You grab a seat. So uh, I, I have definitely been in a season of, um, I'm going to treat this like a therapy session for like a half a second. I'm just going to be open, honest, and vulnerable. Um, I understand this is broadcast, it'll be on the internet forever, but whatever. Um, God has been upgrading me. Isn't it interesting how we ask God to grow us and it shows up like discipline? You ever realize that? God, like when I'm praying the prayer, like God, will you turn me into who I need to be so that what you have for me to do will flow naturally, it shows up like correction. I don't like that. Like, I would love, like, God, I, I, I literally text a pastor friend of mine, someone who's deeply involved in Brittany and I's marriage, and, and I told them, they're a couple, and I was like, do you ever feel like God brings something he wants you to grow in into every single area of your life? I was like, I would have been fine with a strongly worded leather, letter, right? Like, I don't need this showing up every moment, every day. Like, God is revealing to me that I am not patient. Like, in no way, shape, or form am I patient. Like, anybody remember the J.G. Wentworth commercials? It's my money and I want it now. Like, that's how I want life. It's mine and I want it now. Like, I conceived it. Shouldn't I be able to just have it? Like, um, I don't know if you know about the five love languages. There's, like, 
words of affirmation and service and quality time. And uh, the other ones don't matter because the last one is gifts. And mine is gifts. Like one through five is gifts. And there's been Christmas presents underneath our Christmas tree for like, I can tell Brittany and I's financial status is improving because our gifts are showing up earlier. Anybody ever go through that level up? Where it's like you're not waiting for the last second, like you were able to order presents and not bank that Amazon Prime would deliver them at the right time, right? And so there's been presents under our tree for a month and a half. And early in our marriage, so so I'm going to confess something that's not great about my personality. I already said I'm not patient. I love figuring out what I'm getting. And my dad taught me how to unwrap presents. So early in our marriage, when Brittany was like out doing something, I would unwrap just enough to get a peek of what I was getting. And then Brittany caught me one year and she's like, I will send every present back if I catch you doing that. So I've, I haven't done it since. But like... I am a 34-year-old grown man who's stoked for 7 a.m. Christmas morning. <laughs> this is who I am. I'm impatient. Another thing God's revealing to me is I, I have, God has given me a capacity to understand things quickly. So I have the ability to take in information, put it in a box, it makes linear sense to me, and teach it to other people. It also leads to me being prone to intellectual pride. So because I can take stuff in and understand it quickly, I assume I'm in control at all the times because I can make sense of everything that's going on. So other people say I'm pessimistic. I say I'm realistic. And here's the stats and facts to prove my point true. Anybody? Okay, just me. <laughs> and it's interesting as we're reading, uh, when, Matt, when Pastor Matt asked me to speak in this series, instantly God dropped in my heart that I was going to speak on hope. And I have, I am a studier, I love learning, I am totally capable of sitting down and figuring out a message, give you guys three clean points that make logical, coherent sense, we pray, we're out, it's like, this is what I do, I literally do this for a living. And I was sitting in a coffee shop yesterday arguing with God about this message. Because I realized that you can't have hope and control. And God was like, you thought it was all for all of them. Like, this is for you. So I, I started allow. so please understand, like, the, the, the guy who oversees, Joe, who oversees all of the tech back there walked up and he's like, you only sent me, like, two scriptures. And I was like, yeah, because I was arguing with God when I sent it to you. <laughs> so, like, there's going to be some stuff that's up here and there's going to be other stuff that's not. And I just want to let you know, like, I'm here with you. And this idea of hope, like, I, I work hard to not profess or proclaim something that I don't possess. Like, I, I, as the standard I try to hold myself to in my life. And this is something that God is actively upgrading me in my understanding. Some context about Christmas I think is important. We forget that Christmas happened live. Like, for the players in the Christmas story, they didn't know the end. Like, we read it, 
yeah, Jesus becomes the Savior of the world. We do Christmas and Easter. It's kind of the services we all show up for. Sometimes we dress up for the two of them. I get ham. Why is ham attached to both of those meals? I don't know. But we forget that to the players in the Christmas story, this happened live. We forget that from the Old Testament, the end of Malachi, to the New Testament, Matthew, is 400 years of silence. So Jesus, or God, is speaking through the prophets to the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And they're in this rhythm of like a king would rise and they'd serve God and then the next guy would forget and God would correct him through a prophet and then a king would rise. And they had such a habit loop going that the end of Malachi says, I'll speak to you, there, there's a prophet coming, Elijah, like there's a savior coming, and then it's silent for 400 years. Could you imagine, like that's longer than our country has been around. Think about the progress humanity has made in the last 200 years. There's this promise to the Jewish people that now decade after decade, generation after generation is banking on stories in old prophetic words. Like the cultural and governmental landscape of the world has changed multiple times over. The two different translations in the, Hebrew, in the um, Jewish text, the Old Testament for hope, the first one is this idea of anticipation. Like a, like a woman anticipating the birth of their child. Like this little pregnant, like bottled up potential energy. And the second one is like a rope being pulled so tight, it's about to break. Like this is the cultural landscape that Jesus is born into. 400 years of a promise with no sign that it was going to come true. You know, we sing silent night, holy night. Like, Chris, isn't it, I just love, like I romanticize the feeling of Christmas season where there's just this baited expectation. Like our souls are jumping in with something that was true when Jesus was being born here on earth. And then we forget that Jesus is God. Like, for Jesus to come to earth means that he intentionally veiled his awareness of his own divine attributes. Like, I do not mean to make light of the crucifixion. It is a powerful part of our faith. But I think because we lack the capacity to comprehend it, the pain and the struggle Jesus would have gone through to know what he is capable of and willingly choose out of it. Like Jesus wandered the earth not knowing all things. Though that was something he had at his disposition before. He wandered the earth not being able to be everywhere all at once. That's something he had before. Philippians 2 says this, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 
By the way, that's the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And that's challenging. If God is willing, if Jesus is willing to say, as part of the triune Godhead, I don't view equality with God as something to cling to, then I don't have much reason to not be humble. That one's for me. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. It is so easy for us to forget what Jesus did starting at Christmas. That he understood the pathway to the cross, redeeming humanity back to God, required that he lay down his divine attributes, that he veil his awareness of them, and that he walk life out as a human. Like, I have a hard enough time giving up a front parking lot spot (laughs) to someone who I know needs it more than me. And I'm like, Jesus, give me strength and grace to make it through the Christmas season. And Jesus is like, I laid down my divine attributes, dude. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, sorry. Thank you. And yet, isn't it something else we forget? Something that makes our faith immensely unique is that our God was human. Like, I find hope in that. That, that Jesus walked out life as a human. That he understood pain, fear, frustration, anger, guilt. So, historically, real quick, The gods up to this point were out there somewhere, and they were anti-human. And the job of humans was to give enough sacrifices, depending on your faith, sometimes even your children, to appease the god so that your crops growed and you lived mostly a normal life. And then the God of Israel shows up and is uniquely pro-humanity. So much so that he presents this issue that humanity is separated from God. And by the way, a savior, a godly savior is coming to be an advocate on your behalf. Like the cosmic arc of scripture is God's romance novel to humanity, restoring them back to the garden. And Christmas is the beginning of the end of that story arc. It's act three. 
We forget this. See, I think it's profound that our God, so at best, other gods are capable of sympathy. If we were to use the analogy of falling down into a hole, the other gods stand up at the top and go, man, that really sucks that you fell down there. That's a real bummer, dude. I hope you figure that out. And by the way, while you're down there, keep sacrificing because the only way you're going to come out is to continue to behave your modifying sacrifice. Our God, Jesus, because he lived a human life, is capable of grabbing a ladder and he comes down into the hole with us. He's capable of empathy. I understand what you are feeling because I lived it too. Hey, that anger, that frustration, that disappointment, the feeling alone, the being discouraged, the loss of hope, I experienced that. And now I sit at the right hand of the Father as an advocate for you, even when you are in the midst of overwhelming emotion. That brings me hope. 1 John 3 puts it this way. We show by our actions that we belong to the truth and we can stand confidently before God because of that. I think this is fascinating. Even when we feel guilty, God has the capacity to see past our emotions and he knows the truth. He can see past our emotions because he felt them. brings me hope. I have hope this Christmas season because our Savior lived a human life, and he gets me, and he loves me anyways. Another part, another lesson from Christian hope. Hope requires trust, and trust means giving up control and expectation. This is where I got off the bus with God. (laughs) Him and I had to talk this out for a bit. Because here's the question. This is the question I struggle with. It's not can he. Yeah, totally get it. It's will he. And if I'm being really, really honest, it's not even that will he. It's will he do it the way I want him to. So, Christian hope as a virtue does not expect closure or resolution. It is willing to assume that God's promises are true, even if I die not seeing them fulfilled. That's Christian hope. Because hope for us is not dictated by circumstance. It is rooted in a person who is both the author and the object of our hope. That's hard for me. That that is hard for me to comprehend because I prioritize what I want over my lifetime. And, And then we see in Hebrews, the heroes of faith saying, many of them died with the promise still being afar off. Like, think about Simeon in Luke 2. Baby Jesus gets brought to Simeon in the temple. 
in Simeon's declaration is, I can die having seen how God will save his people. Jesus wasn't Jesus yet. Like that is how sure Simeon was that God's promises would be proven true. It was a done deal to him. Like, again, this happened live. It's not like he's getting a replay reel of like a future montage, right? He's not seeing the preview of the movie where you can kind of see who the villain is and what the outcome's gonna be. He is banking on the fact that what God said is true. It was a done deal to him. Think about the three magi. Which, by the way, historically wasn't three dudes. Like, we read the three magi like it's three YouTubers making a documentary about this guy being born, and they hop in an adventure van and drive for a couple days and, like, Venmo him some money. That's how we read it. These, these three magi would have traveled with a whole caravan, probably up to 100 people, three to four months across the desert on a star. Literally, and by the way, on a star spoken about in prophetic words that were hundreds of years old. It's not like there was breaking news, Savior is born, come here to Bethlehem. (laughs) They're banking on the fact that these old texts they read are true. Am I willing to hope even when I'm not promised I get the outcome I want? Am I willing to continue to hope even though it looks like it's not going to happen in my lifetime? Am I willing to continue to declare God's promises is true? Even though the generation before me declared it, the generation before them even though generations of people have passed away believing for something they haven't seen yet, am I willing to continue to hope? Hope gives up expectation and control. Hope is not optimism, by the way. It is not the assumption that everything is just going to work together for good. By the way, culture's best definition of hope is optimism. Hope becomes a virtue when it feels like all hope is lost. Optimism still presents a chance at control. If I manipulate all these pieces enough, then I can see how this could still work together. That's optimism. And that doesn't require hope. was reminded of the scripture in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Hope is the assumption that I can thrive even if the conditions necessary to thrive are not present. 
And think about Abraham. It says in Romans 4 that Abraham hoped against hope. Like, think how insane Abraham's story arc is. God shows up, him and Sarah, they're in their 80s-ish, and goes, hey, you know that child that I prompt? Like, you left not knowing where you were going, banking on the fact that I was going to give you descendants. And now, it is most unlikely that you're going to do that between the two of you. And then he waits another 20 years. He hoped against hope. He was banking that God's promises were true, even though the conditions necessary weren't present. Christian hope is not optimism because it's rooted in a person who is all-powerful, unchanging, our advocate who gets us, not on the situations we find ourselves in. Our hope proves its utility when it seems all hope is lost. Have the band come up. I'm going to end with this thought. Christian hope understands that what I see is not all there is. What I see is not all there is. One of my favorite Christmas movies, we were watching it last night actually, is The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Phenomenal Christmas movie. Elf, not so much. I don't know if I just divided the room. That's okay. That's okay. Judy, the elf, says something profound. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. I'm say that again. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. For us, believers in the room, we are not required to see things that make sense for us to have hope. Like, we can have hope even when all hope is lost. I was reminded of the story of David. Like, David's arc is also incredible. That he promises a young man that he would rule Israel and then spends a significant amount of his life having that proven not true. He serves at his king's side and he gets ostracized by Saul. So ostracized that he finds himself in a situation where he's literally fighting for the Philistines, Israel's sworn enemy. He defects to the enemy's camp because it was safer than with his own people. And right as he and his mighty men are about to go out for battle, the Philistines pull him aside and go, hey man, actually, we don't know if we can trust you. We think you're going to turn on us. You should go home. He's been on the run for a long time now. Sent home by his enemies. And he arrives at his hometown with his mighty men. And while they were out preparing for battle, their town had been ransacked. And their women and children and all their goods are gone. And David's mighty men, who are now also in despair, turn on him 
start threatening to kill him. And it's believed that Psalms 42 is what David writes in the midst of that. And this brings me hope. Psalms 42, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. David understood that his hope was not dictated by what he saw. And he felt his hope refill when he turned his eyes upon his Savior and King. So as I was praying, this is what I felt for us to do today. Can you stand to your feet? I want to ask the question this morning. What do you see? When you look at your life, when you look at the things that you were believing for a long time ago and you gave up on because you lost hope, which by the way, I do not disparage. That is part of the human experience. It is hard. It feels near impossible to sit with hope unfulfilled. I don't disparage that at all. And I ask, what would happen if you changed where you fix your eyes? So your eyes on your circumstance, what you see, your ability to conjure up and make things happen. So your eyes fixed on God, the author and perfecter of your faith, the object of your hope. Hebrews 6 says that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It's this ever-present virtue we have access to because our hope exists outside of us. And so I wanted to offer for us to sing for a little bit. I had this phrase drop in my heart. When I lack hope, I'm going to praise until. When I lack hope, I'm going to praise until. I'm going to praise until I see it. Not it coming together in a way I understand, but until I see the promises of God. Until God flashes into my recollection all the moments that he has proven himself faithful in the past. Until I experience his presence, this reminder that I have access to something that is so much bigger than me. So I want to ask this morning, before we go into our candlelight service next week, would you be willing for a moment to praise until? And you might not be praising for you. Maybe you're full of hope today. But this is what I love being part of a local church. There's people here today that don't have it. And never underestimate my ability to praise, to change the atmosphere in a room that raises the hope of someone else. That's why we gather. There are people, like, I found this really interesting. There's this psychologist, as I was reading, that said, sometimes you only have to hope for things to be different before you can believe it could get better. There's people here today that believing for better is too big of an ask. And they need our collective faith to believe that things could simply be different. So we're going to worship as a church today and believe that as we worship, God is going to refill our hope.
And then we're gonna pray for a couple specific people in just a minute. Let's worship. This, I, I feel this prophetically in my spirit. It hurts to hope. It hurts to hope. And I understand there's people here in this room that you gave hope a long, up a long time ago because it hurt too much. I, I felt to pray for three specific people. And we're going to end in just a second. Not just a second. That's not true. I'm working on honesty. We're going to end in a minute or two. There are parents here, your children walked away from God and you have given up hope that in your lifetime, you will see them restored. And it might not be a child, it might be a family member. And I really believe by the Holy Spirit, there's people you know that that hits you. That you would love to see them restored to the saving love of Jesus before you transition off this rock. And God is asking you to give that up. Here's the interesting thing. In an attempt to save ourselves from hope, we stop trying. So to give up hope is to give up the things that would need to be true to see my hope fulfilled. Because it's really hard to continue to act in accordance as if it's true and not see it come to pass. And that's not Christian hope. We're not promised closure. We're not promised a resolution. We are asked by God's grace to continue to move forward in the good he's asking us to do. Second group of people. Your finances have been a mess. I feel this prophetically for generations. You came from a low-income family and you are a low-income family now and you have assumed that you will live paycheck to paycheck for the rest of your life. And you have given up hope that things could be different. I feel this deep in my bones that God wants to restore your hope today. Listen, I'm not promising a check tomorrow. I'm promising the hope that things could be different starting today. And here's the third one. The state of the world has you discouraged. I fall into this camp. It is so easy for me to look at the state of our world and be like, I'll be extremely transparent and vulnerable. Should Brittany and I have kids and bring kids into this world? That's how real this is for me. And God has reminded me as I was preparing for this message that my hope does not exist in a political system. My hope does not exist in this economy. My hope does not exist in the state and culture of this world. I am called to go about doing good, healing all, establishing the kingdom of God. And I do that in hope. Like I will probably pass away and not see the kingdom of God fully established here on earth, but I will darn well do my part. And that takes hope. So I'm gonna ask for you to not hide from pain this morning. I get what I'm asking. I'm asking you to not hide from pain this morning. I'm asking you to turn to Jesus, who's both the author and the object of our faith. 
If you find yourself in one of those three, I feel specifically to pray for those three. But if you need a dose of hope as well, fourth category, if you need your hope restored, would you put your hands up? Would you raise your hand this morning? I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna have you do anything embarrassing. The reason I ask you to raise your hands with your eyes open is I want people to see how common this is. My hand is up too. Mr. Rogers has this quote, what is ever is mentionable becomes manageable. And if I'm unwilling to mention it, then I'm unwilling to face it. It is okay to raise your hand and say, I need some hope today. Because by the way, this is the dominant distinction between our faith and other faiths. Is that I'm all good, bro. I know we win. Whether it's on this side of heaven or the other, I know what the outcome is. I want to pray this scripture over us and then I'll pray and hand the service off. God brought this scripture to Brittany and I. We have been praying it over our family, us, every day since he brought it. This is Psalms 112. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their house, and their righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause and judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. Other translations say bad news. Their heart are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their heart is upheld and they will not fear until he looks with satisfaction upon his adversaries. The righteous give freely to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever and their horn will be exalted in honor. This takes hope. God, I don't see it. It doesn't make sense how it's going to happen. That's okay. Because your hope isn't based in circumstances, based in me. Who wants to live out generational hope? I do. It's what changes the world. Can we pray? God, I ask for a faith like Simeon who is willing to say, I can die now because I am sure your promises will be fulfilled. Like Abraham, who hoped against hope that in the midst of a promise he hadn't seen yet, he stood steadfast. David, who continued to faithfully serve the cause of Christ, even when it seems like what he had been promised would never come. The heroes of the faith who maintained their hope in the promise, even though it stayed far off. God, I pray that you would give us a hope that doesn't require closure, that doesn't require resolution, that doesn't require circumstances to make sense. I pray that we would not settle for optimism by your grace, that we would stand 10 toes in the sand facing down what is coming at us, knowing at the end, whether it's on this side or the other side of heaven, we win. 
that your promises are yes and amen. I thank you so much that our faith is not in circumstance, but in a person. A person who is all powerful and all knowing and everywhere present and yet uniquely understands me and what I'm feeling. And you say, regardless of all of that, I have hope still. I pray specifically for three groups of people. The first one, those who have been believing for the salvation of a family member for a long time and don't feel like anything is moving, pray you would restore their hope as they worship you until. I pray for those who have, ex who have found themselves in financial lack. And I, I felt you say specifically for generations that you would restore their hope. I pray for those who are afraid of the future of our country and of this world. Pray, God, that you would restore our hope. And we thank you that this Christmas season is a reminder that hope has come. And it didn't exit. It's here to stay. We worship you because of this. In your name, amen.